Hey Geekscapists, Jonathan here. I really hope you enjoyed part one of our LA Comic Con panel series. This week I'm putting up all of our panels from this past weekend's LA Comic Con. We had a great time uh, meeting a lot of new friends, seeing old friends, and pretty much just enjoying a Comic Con here in Los Angeles in our backyard. If this is your first Geekscape, you can go back in the feed, find one of our specials with Ian Kerner or any of the uh, regularly weekly uh, Geekscape interview podcasts. But this week I'm putting up our panels from LA Comic Con. The audio is not always great. I try and fix and work on it, but um, this episode I've got uh, the Monster Squad, which is pretty awesome. I've got Andre and Ryan, who are in the original Monster Squad movie, and their friend Henry, who's working on the new Monster Squad documentary, featuring our very own Matt Kelly. Uh, Wolfman's got Nards, and we had a panel discussion about that movie, which is coming out soon. Uh, making the documentary, looking back at their time as the Monster Squad, and it was a pretty illuminating conversation, especially for me as a Monster Squad fan. I really enjoyed sitting down and talking to them about the movie, and really about getting into the culture of a movie that is almost 30 years old. Uh, is it over 30 years old? Oh my god, I don't know. Uh, it is over 30 years old, and looking back at a movie and how uh, the movie found its audience, and how it's changed their perception of the movie, and I thought that was really, really interesting, and hope you do too, because you're about to hear it on this panel. So enjoy Geekscape Forever. I'm Jonathan London, the host of Geekscape, and I uh, thank you. I ran into Andre and Henry here at a screening a few weeks ago, and we were like, "Hey, LA Comic Con's coming up. You guys just screened the documentary about uh, Monster Squad. Wolf fans got Nards at Awesome Fest. Is that what it's called? At Beyond Fest. Beyond Fest. Yeah. Sorry about Which that. Which is an awesome fest. Yeah, it is, it is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Beyond Fest, and I was like, "Why don't we do a panel at?" comic-con and we can like invite ryan to join us so i've got andre gower here henry mcmanus will get out of bed and ryan lambert over there on the uh, end and yeah we're making a panel to tell you guys about the documentary and about the making of monster squad or at least these two guys memories of it yeah well we do have memories <laughs> right well those, those barely, are still halfway intact. just barely halfway intact memories well i think that let's just start out with any I think they're playing music. Whatever they're playing in the other room is up way too loud. Uh, so uh, why don't we talk about just like your earliest memories of auditioning and getting the parts in Monster Squad. Hey, has anybody in here not seen the movie The Monster Squad? Raise your hand if you've not seen Monster Squad. You've not seen Monster Squad. You've not, it's okay. You, it's not like a it's bad totally thing. Fine. We're not going to ask you. Get him. No, no, that's not, not why we asked that. That's why he's like, see, I didn't want to raise my but hand. But have you seen Goonies? Yeah, see, but, like growing up, there what? Was a, growing up there were the kids who were into the well, Goonies. That's it. On the bye bye, Goonies. Yeah. See you next time. <laughs> I'm still here. When it comes down to it, like I don't know how you guys feel, but growing up, I always felt like there were the kids who were into the Goonies, and then there were kids who were into the Monster Squad. And I liked Goonies, but I was into the Monster Squad. It was just a cooler movie. 
And look at you now. And look at me now with the Monster Squad. (laughs) I think that's a win. Um, Sorry, Sean Astin, who's been on Geekscape. Nice to meet you. Hi. Uh, Sean's great. (laughs) Sean's great. But the Monster Squad, for some reason, just seemed to be that, like, cooler version of kids go on an adventure in the 80s. Well, the whole thing about that rivalry, whatever anybody wants to call it, that which hadn't really happened until now, <laughs> um, is that, you know, the Goonies were a bunch of kids that were basically trying to find some treasure from a skeleton so they can save their town from becoming a golf course. And they were being chased by an old lady and her two goon sons. The Monster Squad was trying to kill Dracula and save the fucking world. (laughs) So there's that. Pardon my French children. Yeah, that. But what about the neighborhood? (laughs) (laughs) Gotta save that neighborhood. And I mean, Fred Decker, who directed the movie, has described it as he wanted to do Little Rascals versus the classic Universal Monsters. And that's very much what this movie is, is a group of neighborhood kids who find themselves up against Dracula trying to put the monsters back together so he can find this amulet and bring like the ultimate like night on earth where all monsters rule eternal and this and that. And you guys are the ones who can stop them. Right. Because you're most adept, you're nerds, you're monster nerds, and you're most adept in like how to kill the wolfman, how to kill Dracula. And obviously the documentary comes from you guys discussing whether or not the wolfman has nards. Something like that, yeah. No, I think one, you know, start with the, the overall concept of Little Rascals fighting Universal Monsters is what kind of plays into the question of why this movie connected with either Monster Squad fans or Goonie fans or both, because it was one of the first kids' adventure movies of the time or ever that was a little bit darker, a little bit more real. It still had some humor, but like people were dying and getting ripped apart and the kids were in peril. So it seemed a little dangerous for. 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds. And I think that's what connected with kids that ended up being like, wow, I really like this type of stuff. This is my thing. Uh, what's next? Yeah, and it didn't so, you know, we hear a lot of people that it's their gateway movie to horror or a gateway movie to, you know, scary stuff, right? And you know what? That's pretty cool, you know, when you think about it. So, you know, you... You perverted me is basically what they're saying. Right. And <laughs> so your original question of, like, asking, you know, how... You know, Ryan and I, you know, for the last... Well, it's been 31 years, but for the last 10 or 12 have really been sort of out there and immersed in kind of the fan base and doing things like this and screenings and festivals. But we realized that people connected with it so much and what that story was. And, you know, you asked, like, what was the original process, like your memories Mm -hmm. of making this movie? And, you know, we have to relive all these really cool stories. And it was we didn't know this was going to turn into what it's turned into because the movie bombed when it came out. I mean, it absolutely did terrible in the box office for a number of reasons that we visit in the documentary Wolfman's Got Nards. Um, but when we first auditioned, Ryan and I were just, you know, teenage actors in L.A. and reading for the next thing that came across your agent's desk that you got asked to come in and read for. I mean, and I know, I mean, some, some fans know, like, you read for different roles. I, I originally read for Ryan's role of Rudy mm. and, and didn't get that because I was obviously not cool enough. And this guy absolutely was, because yeah, I know he walked, walked into that audition process and just wrecked it. So You're it a bit great. James Dean, a bit Fonz in the role. That's because Ryan knew how to smoke a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> 
And Ryan, you you originally like auditioned for Rudy, though. You auditioned for the yes. role that you ended up in. Uh huh. And what do you think it was like going into that audition? That like, do you remember the audition? Yep. Can you tell us about it? <laughs> tell us about it. <laughs> uh, I walked in basically kind of looking sort of like how I look in the film. You know, I had I put on like I had a jean jacket on, and I wore some Ray Bans. And my hair was already like all spiked up and like super cool 80s. And uh, I sat down and I, I saw Shane Black had like a pack of marbles like stuck in his pocket. And he co-wrote the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I said, hey, man, do you mind if I bum one of those? And, they, and Fred and him looked at each other like, mm, I don't know if we're supposed to be giving a 15-year-old a cigarette. <laughs> and I'm like, it's in the, Fred said, it's in the script. Yeah. Like, we wrote it in. It's like, he's going to have to do it in the film. And uh, so, you know, I'm in, I'm in the casting office, and I lit up a cigarette. I did the scene, and I walked out, and I was like, kaboom. Were you guys horror monster fans outside of your, like, acting? Or were you, were you guys stoked when you realized that you're going to be in a movie with basically the icons of horror with Dracula and Frankenstein and the Mummy and et cetera? I think we both kind of watched those things. Like, you know, like when we were kids, you know, there was – four channels including PBS <laughs> right you know what I mean like so you know if you got like a creature feature late at night that's that would be where you would see that stuff who was the woman who would host those creature features Do Elvira you know? no, there was Elvira oh. and then there was one late night one there was a like, guy too oh like, no, that was Joe Bob Briggs Joe Bob and well, Sven Gulli yeah but there was another guy Sven Gulli yeah boy all these kids are going yeah. what are you talking Guys, about back in the what day what is only four channels yeah. I have four channels going on my phone right now so like cool TV didn't start until like midnight right and then you're just watching a bunch right. of like old movies that are just brought back oh like my mom used to come to the living room and I'd be sitting like this close to the TV watching like Doctor Who on PBS. She's like, what the hell are you watching? What is this? Right. Like the sets are wobbling and like, <laughs> like this is terrible. I'm like, this is amazing. Tom, right. ba Tom Baker. We who, had Doctor different who. television experiences because I was trying to get to Skinamax when I yeah. was a kid. You were Nothing, like, trying to descramble it. I think I saw a boob. <laughs> I didn't need that because my dad had Turn all that. Turn the aluminum yeah. foil to the left. <laughs> Dude, go back. Wiggle the wire. So let's give some reference. We have a handful of of, of kids under 15 in here, right? right. Three or four or five. Don't there, smoke cigarettes. There was, <laughs> there was a time when me and Ryan and your parents, you didn't have cable, there was no U-verse, there was no Netflix, there was no 7,000 channels. You had four, and that was it. That sucks, doesn't it, right? He's like, no. What, so what alien do? planet of which you speak? He's like, that's fine. I don't watch TV. I'm on my phone. And our TVs, you turned it like this, and you had to get up and go do it. Right. Um, all, that's right. And sometimes and it would, it would, yeah, it would sometimes go, you get sucked Doo. into the TV and be possessed. But. Also, MTV played music in the 90s. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there was a time when that happened. So you guys end up making this movie, and then like you had to have been stoked that this movie's coming out after, you know, I don't know what it's like being a child actor, but you imagine that you, that you think that maybe this will be a break, and the movie does nothing. What does that do to a kid? Like... An adult deals with that. What does a kid do when their movie comes out and doesn't change their life? Well, I mean, I think while we were making it, it did seem like this was going to be, like, the biggest thing ever. I sure. Mean, it felt that way. Like, and, and you can kind of see it in the documentary, too. Like, because you can see the, the scope that this thing was, how this thing was shot and, and everything that went into it. 
um, it, it had like a Spielbergian like kind of um, scope to it. Um, but as an actor, you know, we were, you know, Andre had been working since he was a little kid. I, you know, had just sort of started at that point, but like I already had another job that I was about to go back to. Okay. Um, so, you know, I literally like finished the, you know, my day on Monster Squad and it was done. Ryan's a wrap. Bye. And then I, you know, literally got driven to my other job. So, you know, you just kind of move on. You went back to, we were, we, we, we were excited when it came out and then we were completely disappointed. But at the same time, what do you do? You know, you just kind of have to move on. Yeah. Ryan made a good point because as actors, that can make a big difference. Yeah. Um, as a director, it can make a huge difference. Yeah. As we see with the case of Fred Decker, uh, it didn't help. Uh, Ryan and I were very fortunate enough to have something else to like jump right into just after shooting the movie and then even after it came, comes out and not does well. Uh, and Fred did that right. I think his next movie was Robocop 3. Yeah. Which I think... Was his last movie. I think it's, yeah, I was going through... I don't know if you guys ever go to the WGA script or the Writers Guild Library or anything. Mm -hmm. Like... His script to Johnny Quest from the mid '90s mm -hmm. is in there, mm -hmm. like that, a movie again that like never happened. You realize like Fred's just been busting his butt trying to get more movies up. He's obsessed with Johnny. He Quest. just got. I mean, Predator just came. You know out. who was supposed to be Johnny Quest? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were supposed to be. He promised well, you. Well, we Johnny had a Quest. lot of. We had a lot of conversation about Johnny Quest. Really? But that would have been a rad live action movie. I didn't even know. It went like this: I Fred, make me Johnny Quest. Yeah, I, <laughs> I would have loved it. Ryan's working. Why are I? <laughs> I didn't even know he had written a Johnny Quest, and I yeah. and I was going through Fred Decker's scripts, and there he is. I mean, I was a fan of his with House, and obviously Monster Squad is a big part of our childhood. Um, the fact that that reality sets in is kind of what I wanted to ask about as a kid, because are you that prepared for that kind of stuff? Because you said that you don't get back into the culture for another 10, 12 years ago. What was that span like? Of the Monster Squad. Yeah, not yeah. getting back we, into that Monster Squad culture. What is that? Right, that's different. Like look, I like I said, you know, Ryan and I work. You worked on, you know, an awesome show that has, you know, a huge fan base. Which one's that? Kids Incorporated. Kids Incorporated. K. Yeah. I. D. S. And I was very fortunate enough to go right from Monster Squad into other television shows, mm -hmm. you know, almost kind of back to back for the next three or four years. And... I had been doing a body of work through uh, off of the uh, off the uh, Fox lot uh, with some you know big TV producers, and then Monster Squad was in the middle of that, and then Fox became a new network, and I was on one of the first seven original Fox shows, so that went you know right into that. So that's kind of a big deal for me, and that took me through the next couple of years, which was great, even though the movie tanked. But you just kind of move right on to the next sure. thing. Not everybody gets to do that. It doesn't mean that it it it's going to not happen to anybody or happen to anybody. It's just sort of the industry is very fickle and very weird, and you just got to take what you get. But Fred, it changes a career. Right. Actor-wise, it's it's how good you are in the room of that day. And you know, you're a kid. You see a lot of kid actors that are awesome, and then they grow up, and they're either not funny or cute anymore, and no one wants them. Mm -hmm. Which just sounds kind of harsh, but that's exactly what it is. I know. I know what you're looking <laughs> for, though. Um, Go for it, Henry. These guys were like extremely successful child actors. And so when they were shooting the Monster Squad, they were on the Warner Brothers lot. Uh, there were wind machines everywhere. Frankenstein was walking around with full makeup. Oh, it's a dream. You had massive yeah. cranes and dollies, and it wasn't pretending you were in this universe. You were literally implanted in this universe. So, uh, without putting words in your mouth, I believe it was one of the biggest experiences you had. 
Oh, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Then they did the screening, uh, it, and it wasn't the most successful thing, but their dance card was full. Right. They were on to their next shows. And what was really interesting from a fan perspective, working on the dock and seeing this, is I wanted that. But your heart was broken, right? You were super No, yeah. I just don't see how a kid recovers from it because I was a fan, and it was like the, my favorite movie. <laughs> These young little moguls were like, no, the check cleared, and we were on to the next <laughs> <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> I bought a Nintendo. I'm good. <laughs> I mean, it, it, but you do want things to do well, and it would yeah, be you know, super nice to do like a sequel or whatever because that's you know the box office happens, and that's what happens. You have, a, you have action figures, and you get a sequel, and... Because everybody goes, where's the action figures? Where's the sequel? Sure. It's like, where was that's the box the, office? That's <laughs> the thing that about now, right? And, and where it's come from, the the journey that it's be, you know become is like, and now we get to see fan art, and now we get people come up to us and so I made this action figure. I'm like. I'm an action figure. Like, <laughs> but all that happened. happened did you know that was years? gestating? Did you know that that was happening that entire time? That didn't really. That was gestating ever since. Who saw the Monster Squad in the movie theater? There's going to be a couple hands. Okay. Who saw it on HBO? Who saw it because someone recommended or you saw it on a shelf in your local video store? The rest of the people, right? So th- that was 19. 19- 89 and then it was on a video store wasn't running on HBO that's where everybody yeah. found the audience and they thought they had found this gem that they'd loved and no one else knew about it it, it showed a couple on, on in over years it did show on network TV so the bulk of those people say hey I found this thing and I really like it but no one else knows it but yeah. I found a friend that doesn't so we kind of connected on it that kind of you know stewed on a low temperature setting for 19 years. And you guys were never going to hear about that stuff because it's pre-internet. It's, it's pre-internet. Pre- all that stuff. Uh, the internet comes out, but pe- like it, we're not talking about it. Some people are because it's you know they connect. Uh, but until 2006, hmm. when uh, the Alamo Draft House in Austin, Texas, did a cash reunion screening in April of 2006. The original Alamo in Colorado? Uh, yes. Yeah. And... They flew us in. We did two sold-out screenings, and then that Monster Squad thing just exploded. And everybody found each other. That was 12 years ago. And so before that, before Tim Lee called you guys all down to Austin, you did you talk to Ryan still? Did you talk to anybody involved in the movie? Was Fred still trying to get you Johnny Quest? And you're like, dude, I'm 30. (laughs) He's like, I'm yeah, I'm 30. I can't do Johnny Quest. I can play the dad of Johnny Quest or like, but I'm not tall enough to play the yeah. uh, I mean, but uh, no, Tom Cruise gets all those parts because he's tall. Here's what's kind of. There's a lot of apple boxes on those sets. There's a lot of apple boxes on those sets. Johnny's quest to climb up the apple boxes. And, and, and a lot of forced perspective camera work in a Tom Cruise movie. Hey, look. What's Henry Cavill doing way in the back of that shot? Hey, guys. Um, not emoting. It's like Lord of the... Lord of the Rings. No, it's exactly what it was. Hey, they did it with Hagrid and with uh, Gandalf. Let's do it with Henry Cavill. Um, But opposite. (laughs) Uh, No, we had no idea really that, and then it kind of blew up. But I had stayed in touch with Fred a little bit. Mm -hmm. And ironically, like just a month or two or three before that April, Ashley and I had gotten in touch. But I hadn't talked to Ryan much at all because I was actually living in North Carolina. I had left and gone to college and done a bunch of stuff and was living in, at that time in North Carolina for uh, you know, a long spell. I ain't about that life anymore. <laughs> and, and, Are you this uh, kid from this movie? 
Who sent you? <laughs> You're in the backwoods. I'm just making up a narrative. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Dramatic. I thought, I thought this was, we were script reading Logan or something. <laughs> uh, which was amazing, at? by the way. Um, that I, dramatic impact, though, that happened, that letdown happened with two groups of people. One, Fred Decker, the director himself, who left film school. During film school, got offered his first film, Night of the Creeps. Who's right. in Night of the Creeps? Uh, before that, he wrote the story for House. So he was already in the industry. He wasn't even a film student. He was an English major, and he's making movies before he graduated. Uh, and then he got the Monster Squad. So by 24, 25 years old, this man had two features. I'm struggling to make my second one right now. <laughs> right, right. Uh, that's pretty impressive. And then after the Monster Squad, that's the person where his dance card wasn't full. Yeah. That, that affected him in a big, bad way for six years. And that happened. Remember Sky Captain, The World of Tomorrow? And everybody was talking about that director and how yeah. he had revolutionized CGI and, like, being on sets. And Did he, he made that movie. It didn't happen. And talented filmmaker. Yeah. And it just went, and that was a young guy as well. Yeah, you go in director jail. It's a real thing. Yeah, you go in director jail. You can make Venom, though. but It impacted him, (laughs) but it also impacted another group, and that's you guys, right? Because I watched The Monster Squad on a VHS bootleg from HBO, and then I grew up, and I was like, what happened to that movie? Well, people kept bootlegging off of HBO, and you got no money from it. And, and I'm starting to look for the DVD, and I mean, if I have a multi-region player, I can get a Chinese bootleg. But yeah. why isn't that movie accessible to us? This was such an important part of my childhood. And then 2006 happened, and you guys showed up at Alamo, and that's what changed it. Yeah, because that, that, that specific event crazy. is what spurned uh, Lionsgate to go, oh, we we have this in our library. Let's see. Let's <laughs> oh, maybe put out a oh, it's the 20th anniversary coming up. Let's put out a double-disc special edition DVD of this movie that's been dead for 19 and a half years. And you guys don't remember this, and I just remembered it as you are speaking. We were at Comic-Con 2006 or seven, and I met both of you guys. That's when we... A long time ago. So, ironically, you have a movie that no one remembers, except for they do, and a big studio puts out a DVD version of it because at the time they were holding the distribution rights and they launch it at Comic-Con 2007 and there's like 7,000 people there to get you know their their DVD signed or their poster signed and they launch it and Lionsgate was their biggest selling DVD of that catalog at that time Wow! and they sold so many that they were out of print and you couldn't get the movie again so it was like just rewind back to when you can get the movie. No one, everybody waited in line. Uh, they ordered it, and then it was out of print again almost. You couldn't and get And digital it. wasn't a thing. And digital yet, wasn't yeah. a thing yet. A Blu-ray did come out a couple years later, and then another Blu-ray, and then it's been on, you know, it's been on Netflix, it's been on Hulu, it's on Amazon right now. It's on, you know, it's, it's, it's on Sky in the UK. It's kind of crazy. So well, where in that journey did you guys start to talk, and where does Henry come in? You were a fan first, but also a filmmaker, and at what point did you meet Henry and you guys start devising the plan to catalog this entire experience into Wolfman's Gotten Arts? Well, we, ta- we talk about that VHS that I found. I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, the winters are really cold and the days are super short and there's not much to do. 
I have an older brother, and I was rummaging through his box of VHS tapes looking for this Skinamax that we yep. talked about <laughs> <laughs> earlier. <laughs> and I pulled out this VHS tape with the blank white label on it that said squat on it. I'm like, oh, this is the one. It's a Put group it scene. <laughs> Put it in, uh, and instead of what I was looking for, I found something much cooler. Uh, <laughs> and it was this band of kids that all hung out in a tree house talked like I did and they went around and they fought the monsters and I was instantly inspired in that same attic I found a VHS camcorder and I took it and I started making movies of my own with stop motion animation with action figures in the snow everything was on planet Hoth uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have choices <laughs> and then we fast forward uh, and 2006 happened these guys find the audience that they were looking for were you at that screening Henry? I was not you were not? no okay. Texas is far away from Alaska. <laughs> it's got different landscapes. <laughs> You're like, no, I've found my niche. I'm good. But because of that camcorder, I go to film school. I start learning the tools of filmmaking, and I work for a studio called Pilgrim Media Group. And mm -hmm. me and my buddy are exiting the studio at lunchtime, uh, and a couple of our friends are talking to the leader of the squad outside in the parking lot. And it was all serendipity. Because if that changed three minutes, maybe this documentary wouldn't be here. But I met Andre. We threw business cards at each other, uh, talked about how important that movie was, and he was talking about a documentary that he wanted to make. About the squad and about this experience, it, they, I mean, had woken you up. Can we talk about what got you out of North Carolina? Was it that – were you living it there during the, the – law. Um, what was, um, it, was it during no, the – No, no, no. Yes. No, I had, I, had moved, I had moved back to L.A. Uh, in – 2013. Okay, so when you were living in, uh, when you went to that Austin screening, you were still in North I Carolina. I was in North yeah, Carolina. Yeah. I had just gotten to North Carolina for that wow. stuff. I had been back and forth for 20 years or so. And um, so earlier, before that serendipitous meeting on the in the parking lot, you know, Ryan and I and Ashley and other people, we've been going around to these conventions for the last 10, you know, for 10 years and meeting these awesome fans that fill up theaters, they come to retro screenings, they go to conventions. And when Ryan and I started doing conventions and appearances, we were like, hey, this is probably going to, this is neat. This will probably die out after about a year, maybe two. It never, it never waned. It actually got stronger. Because the more we went out there as the face of the movie making appearances, the stronger the fan base got. And the more and more kind of that, it just started kind of coming out from the periphery and kind of making this, Kind it of focused mass. Them, yeah. And with that not dying down, all you keep hearing is these amazing stories about how this movie impacted their life. Um, look, it's a whole it's a whole thing. You know, we grew up and we were in teen magazines and Ryan was on Kids Incorporated and he was super cool and cooler than just about everybody else. And um, still is. Ryan's still a pretty cool guy. He was twenty eight during Kids ex Incorporated. Ex except for Richard Grieco. No, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> Who played the wolf? Man. No, I'm <laughs> and so, so we have fans that would come and be like, oh, I love Kids Inc. Or I loved you on this show. Or can you sign my, you know, Tiger Beat magazine, which was, you know, it's still weird. Um, especially when he's like 58 and a dude. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, hey, fans are fans. And um, but we realized Monster Squad fans were were really special and they were really connected to this movie. And you hear these stories and you hear this other story her story and his story and you're like oh that's neat which one moved you the most do you think the story that maybe moved you the most you know I think it's when 
I think when it's a, a father of three comes up to your table at a convention and is having the, the crisis of his year because he has $20 left that oh. he wants to get both you and Ryan's autograph, but he doesn't have enough money. This is why conventions are weird. And I'm like, what's the problem? He's like, well, I, would, I wanted that. Sh- I, I, I can't decide who. And he's sitting. He's like, I just I got to go and decide. I'll be back later. Like, and dude. he's just crying. You're like, dude. He's just dude. crying. I'm like, dude, turn around and come back. Yeah. We've got you. And where, you know, parents come up and go, you don't understand how important this movie was to me. I watched this with my dad. He introduced this movie, and every Christmas we watch it, or we watch it on my birthday every year. Wow. Uh, or my, you know, my older brother had it as a tape, or my younger sister I introduced it to, and this is our movie. Uh, this movie changed my life. My kid's name is Rudy, or my kid's name is Phoebe. Or my family got attacked by vampires, and I didn't know how to fend them off. <laughs> that, that has happened, too. Um, or, hey, we're super fans. Will you come officiate our wedding? Wow. Um, which, which has been asked. And uh, you I should have gotten into that business. We but, had Bruce Campbell officiate a wedding. <laughs> we, I know. We got it's him a ordained. whole thing. It's amazing. Why don't you do it? So I Because you and Ryan have to do it both. Like, he's like, I don't know which one of you guys want to have ordained the wedding. <laughs> one of my three daughters got married. We'll just do it both. And so it was these stories that were very interesting and they just kept getting stronger and stronger and not going away. And I had this original idea. It was like, those stories are an interesting story. Yeah. We need to catch. So we we need to, we need to tell that story because I don't, I don't know of any other movie that has that connection with these people. Like, look, genre fans are genre fans. Cosplays, you know, you love your thing, right? We all, we all have something that we love. This seems to be really connected somehow. It's like a Monster Squad 2.0. It's and like a new I, era for the I film. wanted to kind of look into a little bit more of what that connection was and why. And, you know, this is, you know, two years ago or two and a half years. I was like, look, Ryan, we're going to go on the 30th anniversary year. Uh, let me go get a used, you know, POS camera. And then, like, we'll go around, we'll interview fans. And, like, we'll come back and we'll put it on our, on our website because we had a, you know, we have a podcast. And I was like let's put it up there for a buck or something and just let people have fun. Just do something silly. And I started thinking, thinking about it a little bit more and realized there might be some value there. Something bigger. Than and that. I got involved in a couple other projects that kind of went on the front burner and this kind of sat for six months. And when you're talking about sliding doors or serendipity, that six months was the key because I actually documented a convention that Ryan and I were at with some other people and it just, it was, it was, garbage it just it was just like this is not what it should be this is this is, eh, it doesn't work like how do we figure this out uh we got to improve on it because i see something different here and it went on the burner for six months the back burner and that's when i ran into henry yeah when you take a when you go to at bat on a project and it just doesn't like come out it, it can destroy you you're just like oh is there any value here at all uh, and so henry comes in and he's a writer he's a filmmaker himself he restructured it, refocused it. What was it about the relationship with Henry that focused the movie and shaped it? How about we make a motion picture? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so you hadn't I, thought about making I'll, a feature documentary at <laughs> that time. You were still thinking about making videos. I think it just made, yeah, just something cheap and easy and, and, and doing it was something kind idea of to make the whole documentary. Well, I knew there was something there that was, was bigger was and more quality. quality. It was more quality. And when Henry and I finally got, I said, hey, look, I have this idea, and I kind of want to do this. How, how would we go about doing that? Was it a and Monster Hen- Squad documentary, Henry, that yeah. was your idea? No, yeah. no, no, I'm saying that. Okay, I'm, okay. I'm telling Henry about the doc because that's how we met. And it, it's, to answer your question, it's Henry's uh, passion, skill, creativity, and the fact that he was a Monster Squad fan mm-hmm. and all of those things tying together. And then we just took all of that and created what we created with Wolfman's Got Nards, which is 
way above and beyond that original kind of crazy concept that you know wherever I came up with it on a on an airplane somewhere. Ryan, we, uh, oh, go ahead, Henry, please. We approached it more as a scripted film, not meaning that the interviews were scripted, but we want this to have solid characters. We want this to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and we want to have a lot of story uh, lines that weave together. Uh, one of the reasons why we went that way is because this is probably not the... I, I am a fan, and I love being a fan, but I don't like fan documentaries, no. li like a lot of them, because you get a lot of talking heads, but we're not seeing the passion as much as we are hearing about it. So Andre and I spent a lot of time talking about making this a cinematic experience. And when you're talking about a movie that happened in 1987, you're talking about a lot of things. You're talking about formats for motion picture, DVD, VHS. Uh, you're talking about a time when everybody went to the movie theater, not just watching it on their iPhone or your computer screen. And that's movie magic. So what we wanted to develop is the look of movie magic, that feeling when you go into a dark auditorium watch a movie so hard that when you walk out after that film your eyes hurt because of how bright outside is. Sure. And that's what we were looking for when we were building this doc. Or you're just watching them in Matt Kelly's basement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what's up, Matt Kelly? Matt does our horror show uh, over at uh, Geekscape and is in your documentary. He is. Matt is one of the people you were interviewed as well as a shout out to Melissa Sanchez who mm -hmm. um, Melissa is somebody who's been with Geekscape the entire time I've done this brand for over 10 years and she uh, is physically impaired and doesn't, you know, she comes up to, she came up to LA and was like, do you want to watch Monster Squad with me? And this is for the screening you guys had over in Hollywood at, uh, not the, uh, I mean, where was it? It was, a, it was over at Grauman's, near Grauman's. I and think that was at the Egyptian at the in Egyptian. 13 or 14 as in, at Beyond Fest did it. This is the only movie that Beyond Fest has ever repeated. And I was just like, sure, I'll go see Monster Squad with you. And it was, I hadn't seen the movie in 15, 20 years. And it was incredible. Uh, just how much fun Fred and Sh uh, Shane's script is. And you see that in their movies. Like you see that in, I thought that Shane's Nice Guys is incredible. I thought his Predator movie was fun. And, um, hell yeah. And so, <laughs> and so, um, it, there's th this movie was a bit ahead of its time, and it's a, it has a really unique style to it, and so being in a Spielbergian set, that's I can see how the Goonies applies there. I think that the Shane Black and Fred Decker movie has its own little thing, and uh, Ryan, your character encapsulates that kind of unique cool in itself. And I've known you, and you have your unique cool. As they're making this movie, what? What are you thinking as they're making a documentary about this stuff? Do you want to be involved? Is this something that you still are passionate about? Or did you see value in like the the documentation of this whole thing that you're experiencing? You mean having a bunch of people like follow you around with a camera while you're just trying to like hang on in London? <laughs> yeah, I figure your <laughs> lone wolf Get away persona from me, Henry. may not want that. I'm just trying to have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't interesting. <laughs> Is that how you felt? No, no, of course not. I was totally on board and 100% behind everything that, that these guys did. Um, but I will say, going back to what Henry was saying before about like you know, setting out, making something like this, you know, you can plan all you want. You can put everything into place in your head, but as I'm sure you've seen a million documentaries over the over your life, but um, 
you know, what you get at the end is never what you expected, you know, when you set out to make it. Sure. So, yes, I'm in it. I'm in it a lot. I didn't make the thing, but I was there for most of it. And when I watch it now, and I've seen it about three, I think four times now, um, it blows me away. Because I'm like, oh, that's what we've been doing this whole time? Sure. Like, I didn't know that it was going to be this emotional. I didn't know that it was going to be this almost dramatic and heartfelt in the ways that, I mean, I knew that, I saw some interviews being taped and I saw, you know, I was, you know, obviously the cameras were following me around everywhere and I knew where I was, but the way and the music and everything, it's, it's just like, it all came together so beautifully. And it, 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 when you see this thing, your heart's just going to drop. The, it, it's oh, amazing. I was, yeah, I was going to ask, when can we see the movie? And w also for the three of you, what did you discover in the making of this movie that you just hadn't realized in 25 years or hadn't learned before when you were there? Were there stories you'd never heard that had happened around you? Not to you. And then like, oh. so what did you, what was the one thing that you that you really moved you that you learned in the process Maybe of making this movie? One thing that I just really quick before, you know. Um, we, when we went to London, because I've never seen this film overseas. <laughs> um, I'd never seen, I mean, I've heard from fans overseas, but I've never, like, seen it in person. In Nards, there are delicacy. Yes, so, of course, yeah. that's, uh, yes, that, that was a given. <laughs> um, but when we went to the Prince Charles Theater, um, uh, sold-out screening, uh, was it two sold-out screenings? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Andre and I walked up to the theater and we were kind of like getting ready and the, you know, the, the line was like from the door like around the block mm -hmm. and I was like let's, let's grab the camera and let's me and you like let's go walk down the line interview some people yeah wasn't that just interview? we were just like hey how's it going da -da -da. Yeah. and uh, it was also the 30th anniversary of Dirty Dancing Oh, so that was also playing like across the street somewhere. <laughs> I don't remember, but we were all like, "You guys are here to see Dirty Dancing, right? Dirty Dancing, Dirty, Dirty Dancing. Dancing," and they're all like, "No, no, no, Monster <laughs> Squad," and we're like, "Yeah, yeah," and they're like, "Oh, it's you! Oh my God!" <laughs> and like they were just freaking out. So yes, we just walked Swayze. all the way down the line, and you can see that in the dock. It's really fun. Like I was just like, I'm blown away by this. I just don't. I just don't understand it. It's it's been so crazy. And that's what's neat. I was about 15 when I made this movie, and it tanked. <laughs> But that's what's neat to discover that, you know, because we did it mostly during the 30th anniversary year, which had a lot of events and, and things that were happening and setting up. And, you know, to have Ryan be a major part of all that. And, we, you know, Ashley was – and we ended up going on the 17-city – you know, kind of comes full circle. One of the stories is one of the major elements in this documentary is Henry and the crew uh, got to come on a 17-city Alamo Drafthouse tour for the 30th anniversary that we did in 17 days. Wow. So we did 17 cities in 17 days, and it was like one of Ryan's you know, like rock band concert yeah. things. And uh, it was absolutely incredible. And Henry got to do <laughs> – they documented about 90% of that thing. And it becomes a major through line through the documentary. And those are discoveries and things that you just – you can't plan – to capture this or to capture that. You don't know who you're going to meet on the road and get some great fan interviews. Most of the best fan interviews in this documentary are the ones that we didn't know were going to happen. Um, we knew we had set ones that were foundational and fundamental, like Melissa Sanchez, which is a great story. Uh, but, you know, those are, you know, those get accompanied by these amazing things. You meet somebody in Kansas City or in Winchester, Virginia, 
and they tell you your story. And for me, my personal thing, and I'll let Henry wrap up because he has a different, you know, a, a different perspective, not, not incorrect. It's just different than mine. What I took away from those discoveries as we're on this year-long thing making this documentary is this is not tooting my own horn, but I was like, I was right. These stories are amazing. Yeah. And they're everywhere. And when you're on the last leg of a 17-city tour and you get that interview that blows you away and you're like, I can't this, wait to show this it to is, This is it. Um, and, and Henry, also let us know when we can see the movie if you guys have news on that. Because like, sure I know thing. that you guys have been screening it, but distribution may still be up in the air. Sure thing. Uh, the initial, your question was, what did we learn? Yeah. We weren't expecting, I'm going to do a two-parter because Ryan's here, um, and I've never said this. Uh, one of the most surprising things is I knew going in how cool Ryan was, but I didn't know how much of an excellent emotional source he was. And when I talk about those characters and those through lines that uh, Andre and I were finding in the doc, his narrative is by far one of my favorites. And he put himself out there, and he protect himself and the documentary is excellent because of him so thank you very welcome thanks uh, for being awesome yeah uh the other part was to go 360 from what we were saying to the beginning is uh fred is a very important character he directed monster squad there was almost a version of this doc without fred because it took the year of production to try and get him to agree to do the interview because of his feelings with Monster Squad. Guys, he loves the Monster Squad, but he has mixed feelings about it because he also sees it as a reason why he doesn't work as much as he should be. Uh, and one of the most redeeming parts of the doc was getting into the Egyptian. In the 2006 Alamo event, how many seats was that? That theater the, probably held like a little... What, like Egyptian? Yeah. Egyptian no, six, uh, no, 600 no, 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 seats. In Alamo. Maybe in 250, 200. Maybe. Oh, in the old attic one? Yeah, maybe, maybe 200. Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe 200. So maybe. for our doc, that was how we showed how much people loved this movie. Fred finally agreed to do the interview. If you watch the doc, you'll see that it starts in daylight and in the background it dips to nighttime because of how excited he was to have the conversation with us when he uh, told Andre that he was going to do it. Fred came out to see the doc and the monster squad all together at Beyond Fest this month at the Egyptian. That seated 600 people. All the fans came out and when Fred came out to talk about the doc and monster squad, it was a huge standing ovation. Yeah. And I think in that moment, after 31 years, he found the audience that this movie deserved when it first came out. It's incredible. I think everybody should go see the doc. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes out. <laughs> when it comes out, we're currently doing festivals right now, and we're in talks with distributors. There's a bunch of distributors that are interested. Uh, we have a good sales agent. And they're having those conversations. If you know any more, send them our way. We'd what? like to have talks with them, too. Or in the meantime, tweet out yeah. at the squad doc and say, we want this movie. Get it out there. Um, 
you know, follow us, me and Ryan, on Twitter, on Instagram. What about H. Dilla? I'm getting there. <laughs> Henry is at H. Dilla, but, uh, you know, at the Squad Doc is sort of that, you know, central hub for the film. And, you know, we have a, you know, we've got a lot of friends and followers and fans, and we just get great response everywhere we go. And, um, and there's a website as well. for uh, It's at the Squad at Doc. The squad and that gives Doc. You can see the trailer there and all that. So And find out what's going on with it. And so follow it on all your social media. Follow it on there. Stay tuned yeah. is you know my normal response because, like Henry said, we are in that process right now and hopefully be able to get this out to you in a number of forms, be it a, a Blu-ray with a lot of bonus features because we shot a ton of footage. VHS. V- Henry <laughs> wants, Henry VHS. wants VHS. Big old clamshell. <laughs> streaming, you know, streaming service, international stuff like that, and a theater run. So that that's going to happen because of you guys. I just want to see Matt Kelly. So it's good. Uh, like, Matt Kelly on the big screen? Yeah, I want to see him make He's there. full sentences. He's there. But so, again, as with Monster Squad itself, of the, the demand that this movie got on DVD in 2007 is because of you guys. Yeah. So almost sort of the same trajectory with something like a documentary about that dynamic. It's going to happen again because fans are like, hey, I want to see this documentary. Um, and I promise you, I know it's, it's uh, you know, Henry and, and the team, uh, you know, we did a lot of work on this. And those guys put a lot of heart and a lot of effort into it. And that's, um, it's 30 years of passion and, and, and love for something that they put into a year's worth of time. And uh, we came up with Wolfman's Got Nards, a documentary. I can't wait to see it. Um, let's get one or two questions before they kick us out of here. In the back, in your Altair costume, is that it? Are you? Yeah. Uh, Assassin's yep. Creed, yeah. Yeah, it's called Wolfman's Got Nards, a documentary. And as soon as there's a release date, we'll let you know. So we're not really quite sure. So just stay tuned there. Yeah. Oh, you got to see That's it. okay. Yeah. Well, um, when you see the doc, you're going to want to, so it's good. <laughs> Poison Ivy? Do we want it? Good question. Yeah. Good, good question. To repeat the question, how did Rudy end up being friends with Horace in the first place? Because Rudy's so cool and Horace was not cool. I always imagined it being the fact that Rudy kind of, he's obviously an outcast. I mean, there's all these rumors about him. I mean, Phoebe says, I heard he killed his dad. You know, so like, we don't really know this guy at all. And I feel like he was just searching for a group of misfits to be a part of, like to identify with. And he probably was a loner in, you know, a sense. Um, I always imagine the fact that, like, you know, strip away the leather jacket, take away the sunglasses, and take the cigarette out of his mouth, and what is he? You know? I mean, he's... People like that, you know. James Dean in Rebel Without a Cause is not cool. No. You know? I mean, everyone puts that persona on that character because the poster is cool and it's rebel without a, you know, it's like the words are there. But like, really, he's just like misunderstood. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's what I think Rudy was. And when he, I think when he saw people like that, like Horace, um, he had to stick up for them because he identified. And I think you just described Monster Squad fans and yes. why they gravitated to this Absolutely. movie. Absolutely, and that's 
Exactly. Def, that's in the dock. Yeah. It's all over the dock. That uh, exact sense. Thank you guys so much for being here. They're letting in the next panel. But the movie's called Wolfman's Got Nards. Look for it. Yeah. Thanks. And these guys Thanks will be hanging out. Stay a little in touch. Bit. Follow us and. Uh, you know. Support, thank you. Yes. Uh, support the Geekscape guys and uh, all those cool stuff. And uh, we'll be outside for a little bit. Probably. Come right? Chat that's with good. us. Yeah. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.